0: Welcome to the Perfect First Layer podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy's Shop, and as always, are my co-hosts,
1: JJ. Hey there. And
0: Nathan.
2: Hi.
1: Sorry, Uh, I'm a little late.
0: That's all right. That's all right. And we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page, and send it along. We also have a Patreon account, and we only have one level right now. We're simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to worldwidewebpatreon.com slash Layer. So what do you guys got going on in the shop right now, the lab? JJ?
2: Yeah, so we have got some new printers in, checking out the new Elegoo Neptune Max. It is a massive printer. So got some big projects coming in with that uh, 500 millimeters tall. Um thinking I might be able to make something pretty big out of that.
0: Yeah, you could you could print like an addition for your house to put it in.
2: I could print entire vorons inside this printer.
1: <laughs> Maybe you could print an enclosure for a smaller printer. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. idea.
2: Yeah. A good
0: idea. Man, that thing is huge. Wow. So what, what about you, Nathan?
1: Um, I've been working on the P1P video. Um, I've been doing like a tear down looking at all the circuits and mechanical tricks that they're doing to make this machine different than most of the other 3d printers on the market. Aside from that, I've just been like kind of cleaning my office out, getting rid of a couple of printers. I actually got rid of my two favorite printers just recently. Um, I gave one to my mom and one to my brother. So okay. I got rid of the,
0: what were your two favorite printers?
1: Um, the artillery Sidewinder X2 And the Tronxy Crux, those have been kind of like just really solid printers. But um, I figure if I'm going to give a printer away, I should start with the ones that aren't crap. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, you know, you don't want to be like, hey, here's a 3D printer. You're going to have to learn a lot to get started. And it's probably going to break in a couple of weeks. You know, giving away something that's pretty reliable is probably the right thing to do. Yeah,
0: That's what I'm doing to my boss. I'm giving him a under 3v2 and it's I, I told him i said it's not going to work perfect forever so
1: oh man you must not like him no i
0: i do like him he's good <laughs> he's a good dude actually it's it's got a few upgrades on it it's got a, a micro swiss ng hot end on it
1: oh yeah. that should be a nice <clears throat> machine then
0: yeah it's a nice machine it's got dual z screws on it it's a it's a nice machine it should it should work pretty well for mm. him but nothing works perfectly forever
1: Yep. Otherwise, we
0: it's wouldn't struggle be with
2: printers. Podcast.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. A wonderful world of printers. So. Um, so I guess we can get it. We have, actually have two questions this time. You guys ready?
2: Yes. All right. Born ready.
0: All right. So this question is from Jeremy from Oklahoma. And it says, hey, guys, just found your podcast and binged the first episodes and really enjoyed them.
2: Well,
0: thanks, Jeremy. I do have a question for you. I'm having an awful time with supports. I cringe every time I need to use them. I have a BQ B1 printer and use Cura to slice with. No matter what I do in the settings, they are hard to remove and end up leaving a lot of marks behind. Any tips you can give me? Thanks again for the great podcast, Jeremy from Oklahoma. So uh, JJ, I know you use Cura almost exclusively. So can you give Jeremy any tips for settings in Cura on supports?
2: Yes. So, supports are very complex and there's a lot of settings. And I've even found the same settings don't work on different printers. So, what works on one of my printers and gets amazing results gets kind of poor results on a different one. Um, <clears throat> for me, I really love the tree supports in Cura and I think in a future update, it's already in their beta, but I don't really mess with slicer betas. Uh, They're gonna be upgrading the tree supports even better soon. So, if you're not having good results now, maybe in a future update, you could be getting even better ones. But the biggest setting, I think, is the Z, support Z distance. That's how far the support will be from your object. So, if you make that at a really small distance, it could collide with your print and you'll get too much adhesion and it makes it really hard to remove. If it's too far away, then your object will be deformed and will get out of place because the supports aren't being very supportive. Um, so it's all about kind of fine tuning that. So I usually create a small object with some bad overhangs and fine tune to find that perfect little distance.
0: What, what is the, uh, I know in Prusa slicer, that default setting I think is 0.2 millimeters, which is the, the, the Z offset distance mm-hmm. between the supports and the, the actual overhang. What's it in Cura?
2: Yeah. Usually it's one layer distance away. Okay. So if you're using 0.2 layer height, then a 0.2 distance away should be pretty good. Um, But sometimes measuring those half millimeter, 0.25 or 0.15, try balancing around those distances because just on different printers, sometimes a little more or a little less can be that fine tuning to give you some perfect results. Okay.
1: Nathan? So, um, supports are a real tricky thing in 3D printing. Um, The reward for figuring it out is you get to print much more complex geometries. Um, My first tip for for not having issues with supports is to print without supports whenever possible. So I design my own models a lot of the time, and I'll do some design tricks to keep myself from having to print with supports. So some tricks that I do is to never exceed a 45-degree overhang. Most printers can print 45 degrees pretty well. So just kind of design your parts so that you never exceed that um, angle, and you can just print everything straight on the the tray. Um, But it's really interesting how 3D printers uh, keep support material from sticking to the rest of the print. You're basically intentionally skipping a layer so that you don't get good adhesion in that area, and it separates which is an issue that you can have if like maybe your 3D printer gets a nozzle jam for a layer, it'll skip a layer and then it'll keep printing the top and it might look okay, but then it'll snap in half just like as if you were trying to make a support layer. So it's just kind of interesting that it has a, uh, it's like using, it's like building in a weak part of your print in order to get that to work.
0: So I, I guess a, a question that, that comes to mind when you guys are, are talking about the the distance between the model and the supports. If there's a, you know, a, a gap between the supports and the model, how is it supporting anything?
1: Well, um, if you imagine your first layer when you're printing that, if the nozzle is too high, it can still lay plastic down in the shape of your part, but it won't have good adhesion to the bed. So if you, for instance, if you skipped the very first layer of your print and you just kept on printing, um, you might get something that kind of looks like your part, but it would pop right off when it uh, cools down.
0: JJ, you had mentioned tree supports before. Not everybody. I'm sure there are some folks out there listening to us right now that aren't familiar with tree supports. Can you uh, explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So tree supports are a bunch of, hollow columns, and they kind of look like it starts as a big branch, or big trunk, you could call it. And then as it approaches the object, it will branch off into smaller branches, kind of like little fingers holding up your print in a bunch of exact small points. Um, And so thus it uses less uh, material supporting, because it doesn't need a giant block of supports. It can be a smaller trunk that branches out right before it touches the print. Um,
1: I would say if you haven't seen it before, it looks a lot like, um, what resin printers do.
2: Yeah. I was just if you've seen resin that. prints. Yeah. yeah.
0: They, they do look different. You know, I've tried them a few times and hadn't had a lot of luck with them. Um, until I, I I tried them on the I don't want to go a whole conversation about the bamboo again, but the, the 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 bamboo slicer has tree supports. I had to print something recently, and it did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used the tree supports; they just popped right off. So
2: I find an, uh, another big benefit to the tree supports is that it since it is a bunch of little fingers about to touch your print, if one little bit fails, then it can still support your print. Versus if you're printing a big block of supports, like a more traditional support structure. If it fails, it all fails. And then it won't support your print at all. And so tree supports just gives you more um, backup in that way.
1: I guess I'd call it fail-safe. Um, yes. So the other thing about uh, like getting that gap layer to work correctly is you have to have your t- print temperature tuned in so if you have your printer running too hot, it's kind of like when you're using a hot glue gun and everything's super melted. Um, it just like kind of sags down and kind of bonds to the layer below too strongly. So if you're having an issue where it's sticking too much, maybe try turning your print temperature down a little bit and that'll help it not stick to the, the previous layer as well.
0: What One thing I found too in... Super Slicer, which is a lot like Prusa Slicer, is the ability to paint on your supports. So for example, if I've got a big overhang, I'll put a very small, it lets you uh, adjust your brush size, so to speak, where it's, you know, real wide pattern or real tight pattern. And I'll go to real tight pattern and go past the edge of the model and then paint those just a few dots in certain areas for support that I know are away from the, the, the model sides. And then I click supports on build plate only.
1: Yeah.
0: And it'll, that's a good setting to use. Just do those supports where I've placed them myself instead of just letting it automatically do it. I, I assume you guys have done something like this before.
1: Um, I have. Uh, I'll, I'll usually check print uh, um, print supports on build plate only because when you're building supports on top of the model, um, that can get stuck on a little bit too well. But also you bring up a good point. <coughs> in, uh, in Prusa Slicer or Super Slicer, if you're manually placing supports, you can print Uh, you can select the outer perimeter of a like an overhanging plane you can paint on supports on the outer perimeter of that plane and then do bridging um, between the supports possibly Um, I guess I haven't tried that but it seems like it would be an efficient way to do bridging on in an area where you don't have um, like uh, solid parts on both sides of the, the plane
0: yeah. I really like yeah. what you said before to uh Nathan about, you know, making or designing your prints so they don't need supports. And I know that's a you know, I I don't design very much. Uh, I download quite a bit from Thingiverse and Printables and you know, things and all that stuff. And now I'm I'm to the point where I, I in, in my in my 3d printing journey so to speak where i look every print i look at i'm thinking about how i'm going to put that on a bed and print it because some designs look really really cool and then you it's like well i can't even print this
1: yeah i don't know
0: how i'm supposed to do it
1: i think some of the best designs are ones that are um like it's obvious the way that you should print it but then if you level up to the next level of thousand IQ, uh, 3d printed designs, you get to ones that don't look like they could be 3d printed, but when you put it in a certain orientation, it just like magically, everything works. And, uh, JJ has been doing a lot of prints. So I'm sure he's found that a couple that are like that.
2: Yeah. There's so many where you're like, this should work. And then you're really trying to orient it. And then you're like, wait, this doesn't, this doesn't work well. <laughs> have
0: Have you guys ever tried orienting a piece on the build plate like they do on resin printers where it's like at a 45 degree angle and the whole Mm. thing is supported underneath
2: i've done prints that are entirely supported um for i'm printing a helmet right now but the goggles to it there was not really any flat surfaces to it and so i was like let's just bump the entire thing up in a z orientation and then just support the entire thing so none of it was touching the build plate and it worked great printed really super well yeah
1: yeah some of sometimes i'll design something um where instead of printing it on like the horizontal plane i'll tip it 45 degrees and that way i have two 45 degree angles coming out um mm-hmm. like it's kind of being printed on its corner and that can help um kind of fix some of the issues that you might have if you're printing it uh, traditionally mm-hmm
2: I found one more setting in Cura. Cura has, if you pull up Cura's all settings in, I think supports is the longest list they have. There are so many little things you can tweak and I don't really mess with most of it. But one of them is enable support roof. So that puts on the top of the support layer, it prints a solid support interface with your print. So instead of it just being a grid pattern or whatever pattern it was before, it'll create more of a solid surface that your actual print object will be touching. Yeah. Uh, so that is important. Yeah.
0: Creating um, a good... Prusa and super do are the same thing. I think they call it the interface layer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, one of the most important uh, settings when you're designing your, like you're slicing your parts for support prints is the overhang angle that you'll draw supports to. So by default, it's something like forty-five or sixty degrees. So for uh, to put that into kind of a practical example, if you're printing an octagonal hole, uh, like a, a square part with an octagonal hole in it, like a stop sign, kind of just extruded through the part. Um, if you had the limit set to support at forty-five degrees, it would fill that hole, uh, that entire hole, with support material. If you set it to um, like zero degrees, then it would only support the flat part at the very top. I forget if it's zero or 90, but um, you can kind of tune where you want it to build support material based on changing that overhang angle. And the nice thing about Prusa Slicer and Super Slicer is since it slices so quickly, you can quickly uh, modify that setting, slice it, and see what the support material looks like. If you like it or don't like it, you can modify that angle. Um, and i'll usually have that set to like 80 or 90 degrees which is like at that point you have a hard time just printing that overhang by itself on a well-tuned printer so you're gonna need support material there yeah
0: that's a good tip yeah. I, I mess around with the the support angles myself quite a bit and I, it's it's like a it's it's like you're you're, you're you're putting it in the slicer and I'll slice a model sometimes, you know, a half a dozen, even more times if it's got supports until I'm pretty sure it'll print OK. And then I won't have a ton of scarring on the piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I still, you know, I'm, I'm still a beginner, so I still have a lot of problems, it seems like.
1: Yeah. Speaking of scarring on your prints, uh, what are some of the... Um, like negative effects that you get when you do support material.
2: Uh, Before we get into that, I want to go back to in Cura to the other side of that. Um, Mm -hmm. With Cura, it highlights where supports would be, like where your Mm -hmm. angles are. So as you change that value, it'll highlight I think it's purple in mine, but I don't know if that's because that's something I set. Um, So as you see your object and you change your support angle, it'll highlight different parts of your print. So you don't have to fully slice it to see where the supports would be. Um, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah. sometimes those uh, tree support generation can take a while.
2: It can take a while. So yeah. I, don't, what it's I, to do. I don't want to slice it half a dozen times before I send it over. Does it, it take over. that long in Cura to do? Uh, if I'm printing something large and doing tree supports and doing... It could take a minute or two.
1: Oh, I would like to see uh, with that new printer you have over there, the one with the massive build tray, like yeah. what's the most amount of time it can take to slice something in Kira?
2: <laughs> I've had it when printing a large, trying to print a whole helmet on a previous one and doing lightning infill and tree supports. And I would start it and I thought it was frozen and then I walked away and came back. I mean, it was a long time later. I don't know when it finished, but it took a, it eventually finished.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, that you you brought just brought up something here that we're going to get back to, which is the shape of the supports. You know, there's lightning and gyroid, and bicubic cubic, and all that. We'll get back to that in a second. But mm-hmm. you had just asked a question before, Nathan, about yeah. yes. what problems?
1: Yeah, were- what problems mm-hmm. come up when you're uh, adding support materials to your print
0: with? With me, more than anything else, is the the, and that's why I say I try to mitigate that by moving painting on the supports and moving it away from the sides of the print. That's usually where I have the problem, is the supports you know build up, build up, build up along the side of the print. But you know, I I print a lot of uh, pet G, Mm. and um, it always seems to glue itself to the sides.
2: And that's where I get
0: the biggest problem. I don't have that big of a problem with PLA or ABS, but with PETG, it happens a lot. And that's why I paint on the supports away from the model. Mm -hmm.
1: I think for some reason, PETG tends to stick to itself a lot more readily. So in my experience, my PETG support material has a harder time coming off.
0: But that's that's the major problems I have. Maybe I should just stop using PETG.
2: <laughs> I wonder if there's a setting in there of um, the XY distance of your support with your actual print. If that's what you're saying, it bonds not at the interface layer, mm-hmm. but at the side to side layer. Correct. It seems like your supports are just too close to your print.
0: Yeah, there may be a setting in there. Mm -hmm. Like Cura, there's, you know, 50 different things and I don't know what half of them are. Uh Um, So that's why I said I just use the paint on and I I Mm -hmm. paint it far away from. But even then, it's still, even if I paint them on, sometimes it just fills an entire area and it's like, well, crap. And that's why I got to play around with it. I'm kind of fortunate, I guess, that I've never really worried about re-slicing things cuz it happens so fast. It's like, you know, maybe 10-15 seconds to slice a model with supports. I don't yeah. understand yeah. this minute minute and
2: a half stuff. Kira is <laughs> slow for some reason. I don't know why it's such a it's slow to open, it's slow to slice things. It works well and but Do you have yeah. like
0: a an old 8088 computer?
2: <laughs> I've got a great computer. It doesn't use it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. I think when you're adding the like the more advanced features like tree support infill and lightning uh, tree supports and lightning infill, mm-hmm. it requires some pretty complex algorithms that have to build it up layer by layer and to make something yeah. that works.
0: No, I want I, think- it, I hit that button, I want it now. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> I think if it just was more optimized, if it was trying to if it used more than one core on my CPU, if it used my GPU at all. I think it could do it in a few seconds. Yeah. But it's trying to use like one CPU core and just leaving it at that.
0: Right. So one of the things I wanted to bring up is, you know, the, the there's different types of infill. There's, you know, the the there's the lightning infill, which is a new thing. Um, there's gyroid. There's bicubic. There's honeycomb. There's this. There's that. What are what are the advantages to, to the different, you know, cause I struggle with that too. I, I don't know which one to choose.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I can start just cause I've experimented with that stuff a lot, just to, to kind of figure out what's going on. So when you print up some support material and then you start printing your part, it's laying uh, it's laying the plastic for your model down onto this bed of support material And your goal there is to basically have your material that you want to keep be printed in in place um, and have it just be kind of floating there. But kind of the issue is since you're skipping one of those layers, the plastic can droop down a little bit. And if you inspect one of your parts that's been printed with support material, usually the underside layer, the first couple layers won't have as good of layer adhesion as your top layers will. Um, and that can affect the strength of your parts and they can fray at those, uh, where the filament is. So, um, when you use different types of infill and support constructions, you have a better or worse nest to be laying that material down onto. Um, usually when I do, um, usually when I'm printing, I'll print at 15% infill with a, just the regular grid pattern as the infill. And then when I go to print the top layers, it has to kind of like lay the plastic over those waffle uh, square gaps. And it's basically doing a bunch of miniature bridging operations. Um, by increasing the infill percentage, you're making that mesh tighter so that when you're bridging each individual little gap between the, uh, the infill it's, it can't droop as much. Um, so that's kind of advantageous to do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some differences in the strengths and which direction of is stronger and all that kind of stuff.
0: Are you talking about which direction is stronger on the, uh, the support side?
1: Um, on the infill, okay. for because I, I've mostly experimented with different infills. Okay. But um, kind of the same stuff applies to support when it comes to laying the plastic down on top of it. And what JJ mentioned earlier about having the interface layer where you're kind of like printing a solid sheet before you start printing on top of the support material, I think that can help just kind of get a much better, more consistent result.
2: So you're saying you use grid? infill is your most common one
1: yeah as an infill material or gyroid those Mm. are kind of my two favorites
2: yeah i always use cubic um Mm. at least in cura it's called cubic it's kind of a grid but in a it's a dynamic 3d grid i would say um so each layer is a grid but it kind of changes as it goes through so it seems to offer more support uh structural support in three dimensions versus grid can kind of had uh, two axis support, but then not as strong in other dimensions.
0: Isn't there, but there's different, what I was referring to before that I maybe mean, I shouldn't have said lightning, but there's different types of supports that have different shapes.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that between Prusa Slicer and Cura. Like when my Prusa slicer just defaults to doing a back and forth zigzag that's like kind of had squared edges and then it starts printing on top of that when you get to the model. And when I've used Cura, it kind of like draws a shape that's like its own piece and then kind of attaches that to everything once you get to the interface.
2: Yes. Yeah. In Cura, you could have your supports as just lines or as a grid or as a more solid block with a gyroid infill you could do you could do a bunch of different infill patterns for your support pattern
1: yeah so that's actually a pretty big difference between um, prusa slicer and Cura mm-hmm. and the way that it draws its supports yeah i would say that the best support structures that i've had are done in kira um, prusa slicer just kind of I don't know. There's there's a lot to get into there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm I'm, I'm I just opened up Prusa Slicer and I'm looking at. There's options for support material. There, uh, this button. There we go. There's grid. It's snug, the pattern. Here we go. There's rectilinear, rectilinear grid, and honeycomb. What the heck is the difference between those?
1: Right. <laughs> are, that, is those, are, are those support patterns, um, infill patterns for support material? Yep. Okay.
0: That's what I was talking about before. Oh. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the advantage of one over the other is.
1: I think we're quickly realizing that this is a a much deeper topic than we thought it was getting started. So thanks for the great question, Jeremy.
0: Wow. I just closed the door on that one. All right. (laughs) So yeah, we we could spend hours talking about this, I guess. So let's move on to the next question.
1: Yeah. But to close uh, close out for Jeremy, um, I think everyone has trouble when printing with support materials I mean, the only way to not have trouble with support materials is to just not use it. And ideally, you can get it tuned in pretty well so that whatever you're printing will, uh, you'll be able to to just set it up and print and get decent results. But it's kind of, um, it's always kind of a little bit difficult, and each new model brings its own challenges.
2: But I will give you my answers to those two questions in Cura. Uh, For support pattern, I always use lines because it seems to support well and doesn't use too much material. Grid is a little bit stronger. But then the other setting is your support interface pattern. So that's what sort of pattern will be touching the actual model, and I use concentric on that one. It seems to have a more – creates a more solid surface for your print to be touching.
0: I I like – the, the the best answer I, I I think I've got from all this is don't print with supports.
1: <laughs> Just uh, stick to 2D plain parts like you use in a laser cutter.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. So we're going to move on to the next question. And this is from Steven. And it says, I have a question for you. I recently purchased an Elagoon Neptune 3 Plus, and I'm really loving using it and 3D printing. I've tried a couple large prints on it. I'm having issues with the model sticking to the bed while printing. It always seems to happen when the print is almost always through a 20 hour plus print and it gets ruined. I'm using Matter Hackers PLA and using the recommended settings for both the hot end and the heated bed. Am I missing something? Steven. This is a pretty hard question to answer because Steven didn't give us a lot of detail, um, or specifics about what he's doing here. So I think we can just have a general discussion about bed adhesion in general, uh, which I don't think we, we haven't talked much about bed adhesion, have we? Not really. Not no, really. So let's look at Stephen's particular problem. Here. He's using PLA. I've used MatterHacker's mm-hmm. PLA and it's fine. You know, it's fine filament. What could possibly be the problem with this bed adhesion on this. Now, if it's a Neptune 3+, plus, that came with a PEI sheet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, who wants to be the first to tackle this?
1: Um, I'll just give an opening statement. Okay. Um, I think this is great that we have the user submitted questions because it brings up stuff that I struggled with when I first started with 3D printing. So, it's not the type of stuff that I would normally make a YouTube video about but I think it'll be really beneficial for people to learn about this stuff. Um, with that said, I'll say um, my first printing experiences uh, ended in utter failure when parts curled, lifted off the build surface and just like continued to run, making a giant bird's nest for several hours and overnight. Yeah. So this is something that everybody struggles with. Um, I think The main things that cause prints to peel up at the bottom is when you print stuff, the plastic is hot, and then it cools off and shrinks. So, I mean, ideally, you'd think about it as like, oh, I print out this cube, and then when I'm done printing, it cools down and it it just shrinks. And you'd call that like an isometric shrinking, where it's shrinking equally in all dimensions. But since this is a dynamic process where you're laying it down layer by layer, you end up printing the first layer, then you print the second layer on top of that, and that shrinks, and then you print the third layer on top of that, and that shrinks. So you end up building up this internal bending stress that actually picks up the edges of the parts, and it'll create like a perfectly curved beam if you let it go long enough. And uh, that just happens when the the stresses, the internal stresses of the part are building up to a point where it overcomes the uh, bond strength of the print bed. Wow. So, uh,
0: that is a really good explanation, Nathan. I actually understood that.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I, uh, (laughs) I, I taught mechanical engineering stuff at a university level for a while. So I hope I'm decent at explaining this stuff. That
2: was pretty good. I like that. JJ. But when it comes to the actual prints you're doing, <laughs> um, a lot of it is the orientation of um, having enough material touching the build plate can change. So whether you're trying to print a large box or printing, say, a helmet is a common large print object that only has a little ring around the outside that may be actually touching the build plate. Um, so adding things like a brim onto your print can add, increase your surface area trying to grip onto that PEI plate as much as you can. Um, other real life situations could be if the temperature changes in the room. So if you've got a fan maybe blowing that kicks on and can change the temperature around your build plate. So putting it in somewhere that can't have a fan blowing on it, putting an enclosure around it, might uh, put a cardboard box next to it to try to block any spare blowings in the room can help increase chances of a large print like that working well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Just if you're putting a cardboard box on it, make sure you keep an eye on it.
2: (laughs) Yes. Maybe next to it, Uh, put it in a cabinet somewhere near a cabinet that won't get blown on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think having an enclosure is a big deal for that stuff. It definitely helps. But a lot of the budget 3D printers don't have enclosures. No,
0: no. Um, I know when I first got my Ender 3 V2, it had that glass bed. It was like carborundum glass bed. I really don't know what the hell that means. Uh, And it worked fine at first. And then I just couldn't get anything to stick to it anymore. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I cleaned it. I tried glue. I tried hair. No matter what I did, nothing would stick to it anymore so i took it off and that's when i got a a pei sheet now everything sticks to it all the time and i don't have really any issues uh unless i'm building unless i'm printing something like jj mentioned where it's hollow on the inside and has a rim on the outside and there's not a lot there to actually stick to the bed Um, yeah and that's where you put the brim on it which creates a larger area for it to, to stick to the bed.
2: Another thing can be how to clean your PEI coated sheet. Cause that's one with the the bamboo labs It comes with that. And I had so many, the day one I couldn't get a print to stick to it until I took the build plate off, take it to the sink, uh, soap and dish, uh, dish soap and water to really wash it off, clean everything off of it, dry it well with a, some sort of rag, and then put it back on there. And now things are working well. So sometimes cleaning your build plate with soap and water can be a good way to refresh that PEI-coded plate.
1: Yeah. Um, about the difference between the carborundum and the um, PEI sheet, I've noticed that I get a lot more consistent results with the PEI. Like from print to print, it behaves pretty much the same. Versus the carborundum, it's basically like, uh, like little fragments like powder that's been glued into the glued onto the glass and almost like a paint layer. And I've noticed that if you have a print and you keep printing in the same area, the plastic kind of like builds up and turns it turns it into like a smooth finish, which doesn't Mm -hmm. stick as well. So um, it's one of those things where you got to keep an eye on it and maybe replace it and do some more cleaning and maintenance on it than you would have to do on a PEI sheet. Um, Mm -hmm. But touching on something that JJ mentioned, and it kind of ties into what I was talking about earlier, um, print orientation is really important. So Mm -hmm. if you think about like a if you have a cube that's like one inch by one inch by like 30, like by like three inches, um, like how would you want to orient that on your build tray? You could print it standing up, in which case you'd have less surface area on the on the print bed, which might make you think it would have a harder time adhering. But if you print it laying down, then you've got more of a surface to to like build up that stress and pull the edges up off the off the print. So it's always kind of a balancing act between having enough surface area flat on the print bed, and. Um, having a orientation that isn't going to be producing a lot of those curling uh, effects.
0: Yeah. another thing to think about too, and I, I don't want to get off under the weeds on that, but is also the direction of the print laying down the layers. It's, you know, but I think we talked about before a couple episodes ago where the, the, the way the layers are oriented uh, dictates where the piece is stronger or weak. Mm-hmm you know, yeah. kind of like grain in a wood. So mm-hmm. uh, that's another thing to consider too. But yeah, I know what you're talking about, Nathan, you, you lay something down and it peels up on the edges. So, but then you, then you print it standing up and halfway through the print, it gets knocked over.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> like the print head just comes by and it's like, Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it out. yeah. And
2: it's,
0: it, it's very frustrating. And I, I, and I, and I understand what uh, Stephen's talking about, but it, it's, it's, it's not an easy answer because every situation is different. I, I think that the the type of filament you're using, the speed you're printing at, um that all makes a difference as far as bed adhesion when you're you're looking at prints that can be tricky on
1: the bed. Yeah. I've noticed also with solid infill, I have a lot more issues with the edges curling up mm-hmm. versus if you just kind of go with the stock settings of like two outer layers. And 15% infill, then it's not generating too much of that curling force. But w- if anytime I do solid infill, by the time I get to the 10th layer, it's like pulling up with the strength of a thousand men. <laughs> it just like pulls those little edges up, even if I put a brim on it. So, um, yeah, the amount of material that you're using can have an effect too.
2: I think that's the hardest part of uh, printing Voron parts. You're trying to print ABS and trying to print pretty solid infill, or yeah. close to solid, and so it's the hardest thing because it wants to pull off. Yeah, so I just strongly. I
0: just went through that where I'm, I'm I rep- actually reprinted all my parts for my Voron, and you have to have like a forty percent up uh, infill on it. You have to have what they recommend, anyways, the, mm-hmm. the four walls, and I think five bottom layers and five top layers and when you're printing some of these larger parts on abs they i mean halfway through it they're a quarter inch off the plate just vroom, yeah. vroom, comes right up i had to yeah. reprint some stuff um but it wasn't that bad but i know that if i would have tried that on a printer that wasn't my printer isn't really enclosed it's i actually have the box it came in and i use that as an enclosure over the top of it and it's been doing pretty well um but yeah i I couldn't imagine a big piece out of abs with a large flat area underneath how much curl that would have on the ends why why does abs have a bigger problem than let's say pla as far as curling up
1: yeah, um, I think people talk about ABS having problems with curling, but PLA also does. It's just to a lesser extent and like to the point where it's not really an issue when you're doing pretty small prints. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, um, ABS prints at a higher temperature. So even if the two materials had the same uh, thermal expansion coefficient, which is a measure of like how much it shrinks when it changes temperature. Um, even if they were identical in that regard, you're cooling down a larger amount. So it'll shrink more just due to that. But I think on top of that, uh, ABS has a higher thermal expansion coefficient. I'd have to look it up just to be sure. And get some some change information.
2: between nozzle temperature and room temperature cooling down, or nozzle and bed temperature is a bigger uh, change there.
1: Yeah. So that's where having an enclosure is huge because ideally if you can keep everything warm enough that it's, the plastic is still somewhat soft. Um, kind of like with, with the, um, the heated bed, the reason why we have a heated bed is it keeps that plastic above the glass transition temperature. So it stays tacky and you can kind of, uh, it, it won't have a tendency to like pull off or, really bend a lot because it's like soft plastic, but once it cools down further, it becomes hard plastic and it can really produce some force.
0: All right. Well, a question I have is so there, I don't know how deep we want to get into it. Maybe to have a short discussion about it is the, the, the different types of bill plates. We talked about glass. I know that I've seen people use just like regular sheet glass, like a piece of tempered glass. that has no coating on it whatsoever. I see blue tape every now and then. I'm wondering what that's all about. I see, um, like JJ, you use that board that's. G10. Yeah. It's, and that's the, the, the stuff that printed circuit boards are made out of. Mm-hmm. And then there's PEI, and then there's the textured, and then there's the, 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 the PEI that has the sticker on it. And it's like, oh my yeah. gosh. It's the craziest so one I've heard of. <laughs>
1: The craziest one I've heard of is some uh, one of my commenters in my on my YouTube channel said he takes a concentrated solution of salt water and brushes it onto his uh, his glass bed, and he says it forms like little salt crystals that hold on to the thing. And he showed me a research paper on it. So uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy what people come up with.
0: Yeah. So everything that I see coming out now, almost everything has a, a textured PI. We, we talked about that mm. before. Um, what's the...
2: It's, so it seems like it's been the transition of technologies as we've moved forward. Mm-hmm. Of It used to be when there weren't all these companies putting money into making good materials, that painter's tape was the best thing people had. And it worked pretty well. And everyone has that in their... Junk drawer somewhere. And so that's why people use blue tape more in the past. Yeah. And then we moved to the the glass beds. And that's what everyone was using. That's what all the cheap printers came with. And then now they've realized PEI is better. And so all the printers have come with that. And it's cheap and good. And everyone comes with that.
1: Yeah. When I first got into 3D printing, there's two printers that I was using. Uh, One was a big, expensive um, Fortis machine. It was like, you know, one of those industrial scale machines. And it had a removable print surface that was an ABS print surface. And you pulled it out and broke the part off every time and threw the tray away. Um, (laughs) And it it adhered really well. But, you know, that's kind of like you're paying tens of thousands of dollars for a machine. You can afford to have those disposable parts. Um, and then, on the hobby side, my first hobby three d printer I used, we had a can of hairspray that you had to spray on there and, and like put the blue painter's tape, spray the hairspray, make sure it gets the perfect layer on there, and then make sure it dries enough and then print with it. And I think really what that comes down to is, like jJ was saying, we didn't have the materials developed specifically for three d printers. So what people did is they just walked down the aisle at the grocery store <laughs> and they're just grabbing random stuff. You know, if you butter it up, does that work? How about some some maple syrup? <laughs> like, Well, I've uh, also
0: heard, you know, like uh, you put down glue stick. In some cases, I hear it's to help things stick. And in other cases, I hear you put down the glue stick to help with release.
1: Yeah. I, I, so, I, Which is it? Right. So the, the material that glue stick is made out of, I mean, they're all different formulations, uh-huh. but um, one of the common ones is the same material that soluble support material is made out of PVA. Oh. Yeah. I'm familiar with
0: PVA because PVA is wood glue.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it's wood glue. Uh, guys, got to find a way to make this about wood <laughs> shop again. <laughs> uh, but. It does a really good job of failing at a lower stress than the, the printed part does. So when you're pulling it off, it will break before your printed part breaks. But also, it's similar enough of a material, like it's a similar polymer or whatever, so that it can form a little bit of a chemical, like it forms a little bit of a bond with it. Because um, if you have two things that are super dissimilar, they might not stick together at all. Like PTFE doesn't stick to anything. Um. Yeah.
2: yeah is
0: there anything you'd
2: cool. like to add to that JJ yeah the, uh, glue stick is the only real like additive that I will occasionally add for large prints getting back to our how to print large things um, glue stick is the only trick I've never tried hairspray uh, I feel like I've never really needed it um, but glue stick occasionally on large prints put down a surface of that or if you're trying to print ABS on a printer that's not great at printing ABS a little layer of glue stick is my typical go to. Were you putting
0: the glue stick on to help adhesion or to help removal?
2: Mainly to help with adhesion. Um, okay. I've never, I haven't had too much issue with it not releasing that well. But if you did have a print surface that held on way too strongly, then you could put a layer of glue stick. And I would, t- I think that would totally work great.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. So I've had, uh, I've had glass beds where, you try to pull the part off and you have to like hit it with a hammer and then it eventually comes off and it peels off the uh, carborundum uh paint on there so having a little bit less stickiness is good sometimes Mm -hmm. and with glue stick I have found that it doesn't work well for me with PLA Um, Mm -hmm. it works great with nylon so if you're printing nylon parts I'd highly recommend glue stick and uh carbon fiber nylon especially it like sticks really well too and it's almost easier to print than pla with hmm. carbon fiber nylon with glue stick it's just you gotta you know i have a hard time seriously telling people carbon fiber nylon is easier to print with just because of if you leave it out for a day it stops working <laughs> you have to like industrially dry it out with yeah. an oven so
0: I don't want to get into another half-hour discussion about bamboo. However, okay. <laughs> however, I've noticed that people talking about the, the their top-line one, the X1 model, not the P1P, but the X1, it actually comes with some type of glue, and that glue is there exclusively, not for adhesion, but for removal because of the type of bed they're using. And they call it like a cold plate or something like that i i mm. I don't understand the technology
1: well, if they're putting glue on it, then it doesn't matter what the bed's made out of. <laughs> like you can make it out of glass or you know steel or
0: yeah but i i don't they're yeah, they're I, using I don't understand what the cold plate is versus I, the heated bed and but then you have to put glue on it
1: i I think the answer to this is. Bamboo needs to send all three of us an X1 carbon so that we can figure (laughs) out what it is.
2: (laughs) But I think the, so the cold bed is made that you're not supposed to heat. You don't have to heat it up. You don't have to get it up to 60 Celsius before you start printing on it. Um, And thus your print is going to be, you don't have that thermal change when your temperature, usually when a bed cools down, it'll pop a print off of it or a good PEI coated plate. Um, But a cold bed it doesn't have that thermal change from sixty Celsius back to room temperature.
0: Is it, is it just depending on the, or dependent on the uh, the heating of the chamber to heat the bed up a little bit?
2: It's not. I think it's the goal. The point of it is that it doesn't need. It's not heating the bed at all. Okay. It's just sticking to it at room temperature. Okay. Um, and thus, it needs something little extra glue to help it. Pop off the build plate at the end of it.
0: I, I I really like Nathan's answer, which was they need to send us hollow. <laughs> <one." laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's the best way we can yeah. answer that question.
2: <laughs>
0: right. So, uh, um, all right, I think that was. Back to, oh, go ahead,
2: uh, G ten. I feel like that's okay. One let's that, talk about that. Uh, no one talks about. It <laughs> was Maker's Muse saw he did a video on it, mm-hmm. and then I bought a bunch of plates, and I love it. It's it gives you a glass like surface on the bottom of it, which is something textured PEI gives you that textured oh. matte finish to the bottom of, it, which is kind of nice. Um,
0: but there but are I times. really like
2: that glass like finish on the bottom of it is really nice. And G10 is cheap, comes in really fun colors and sticks well, releases well. <sighs> I feel like it's one that is underutilized.
0: Yeah, d- does that? Do you just clip it onto the bed?
2: Um, so I've done a mag on the Myvoron. I've stuck a magnet sheet okay. to the bottom of it. Um, or I've seen other people who have glued it to a s- small steel plate. Um, or you can. Cl- I have it clipped onto another one with some little binder clips holding it down.
1: Okay. Sounds like you got options.
2: Yeah, I got options. There
0: there are times when I want a flat bottom on stuff, and Mm -hmm. the PEI sheets I have are reversible. Mm. So one side's smooth and one side's textured.
2: Yeah. How how would you describe the difference or use case difference between when you use a textured? Because I've never used a smooth PEI plate.
0: Okay. uh, Like the Prusa, that's what it comes with. Mm-hmm. And I know the, the aftermarket ones I've bought for my Ender 5, that's double sided also. And they're just like I, I, I printed out a, a a little pill case that I put in my pocket. And I didn't want it rough, mm-hmm. I wanted it smooth. And so I used it, where mm-hmm. it, it gives you a nice glass type finish, but it doesn't stick as well. As it does, okay, yeah. you have to really. It has to be really super clean. So, but it does stick well, mm-hmm. uh, and I've got like extra like they, the PEI actually comes in a sticker. It's mm-hmm. like a you know like a, a sticker sheet, and because that finish can get ruined on it, especially if you have to scrape something off, you can peel the yeah. back part of that sticker. So you have to peel the sticker off and then put a new sticker on. Um, Every now and then I use it. There are times when I've used it. Like the, uh, a good example recently, and it's, it's, it's purely aesthetic, where I, I, I mentioned before I was printing out the parts for my Voron and the front of the, uh, the tool head is all, you know, textured. I don't want it textured. I want it to be flat, if that makes sense. I
1: think, take look, your, I think it to look uh, better. Let's mm-hmm. take it to your wood planer.
2: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so uh, on mine, I, I wanted that glass-like finish because it's kind of the face of your exactly, printer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So I was looking at that and I said, like, man, I'd really like to have that, you know, flat in the front and not have a texture. And again, it's just a its just a, a, a design choice more than anything else. It's an aesthetic. So I'm going to try reprinting that on my, my Prusa because that, that did a good job with printing APS, ABS,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, it stinks up my office horribly. So that's why I, <laughs> I was trying to avoid it, but I think I'm going to on that one.
2: We'll see what I wonder if happens. you could pop that smooth plate, if it would fit on the bamboo, then you could use smooth on that.
0: It probably would. It probably mm-hmm. would. It's, it would, the, the bamboo has those, uh, edges on the side that are proud of the bed itself. So it would have to fit inside that. But I think it's like Mm -hmm. 220 by 250. So it should. You look like you're about to say something, Nathan.
1: Oh, I'm just, uh, I've been reading up on uh, thermal expansion coefficients of different plastics. So I kind of want to (laughs) add a Nathan's technical appendix to the end of this episode. What, what,
0: What we need is some theme music.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, we need like a Jeopardy yeah. or something. And now it's time uh, for <laughs> Nathan's uh technical appendix. You can <laughs> you can leave the podcast now unless you're really interested in this stuff. Uh, but basically, yeah, you asked the question earlier, like what's the difference between ABS and PLA in terms of how much it shrinks. But um I looked up the actual numbers. So ABS has a thermal expansion coefficient of ninety-eight uh there's units to it but they're they're complicated it's it's micrometers per meter degree celsius um but basically we're just going to go with the number we'll call it 98 so you can get a relative scale um and pla has a thermal expansion coefficient of 68 so that's about 107 and for abs and about 70 for pla so um ABS will shrink about 40 percent more than PLA if they were being printed at the same temperature. But since you're printing ABS at a higher temperature, you you have to multiply you know the difference in temperature times the difference in thermal expansion coefficient and really end up with like almost twice as much or about twice as much um, thermal expansion, which ends up being a pretty big deal um, yeah
2: all right that's like my uh so i I gave a printer to one of my brothers and he wanted to print abs so he said he bought a spool and i said good luck you didn't
0: give him (laughs) any hints
2: no i mean i gave i was like try heating it up a lot try a glue stick but it's probably not gonna work (laughs) and a week later he's like yeah abs i I can't get it to work
1: (laughs) yeah i think it's fine to just stick with pla for most people
2: most people in most situations pla is great
1: Everybody thinks they're special, though.
2: Maybe it is. Enough tinkering. I could, it, uh, oh, tinkering, I could make me. it work. Yeah.
1: Work. Can't be that hard.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks for the questions, Stephen and Jeremy. And I hope we were some help to you. And everybody else listening out there, I hope you picked something up. I know I did. Um, So remember, we really need questions and participations from you guys, the listeners. So thanks, guys. And remember, we really need some questions and participation from you guys, the listeners. So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page and ask us. Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where you can be found?
1: Well, just go on YouTube and look up Nathan Builds Robots and I'll pop up. Also, if you go type in man destroys 3D printer, maybe I'll show up there too. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> JJ?
2: Yes, I'm on YouTube just as JJ Shankles. That's where you can find me.
0: All right. And uh, you can just search on any social media platform actually for Guy's Woodshop on YouTube. You can try searching for Guy's Shop. It still doesn't come up half the time, but Guy's Woodshop. So. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to JJ and Nathan for our expert advice. And we'll see you guys next time.
1: All right. See ya.
2: Bye. Right,
0: bye.